God and Father, our hearts are heavy today knowing that what we're doing this morning is not playing church, knowing that you're calling us to be something that this world desperately needs, your representatives, your ambassadors. And we know now as we've studied the New Testament, even just Ephesians, that we're deeply, to be deeply committed to each other. We pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Before I forget, I'm supposed to mention to you this morning as well, on behalf of the Wright family, that we will celebrate memorial service for Danny Wright here in this room on Wednesday at 3 p.m., this coming Wednesday at 3 p.m. Uh, if you can come and support Binnacle and Linda and their other two children uh, and, uh, and, and Danny's fiance as well, that would, be, that would be wonderful. Wednesday at 3 p.m. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul begins, he says, finally be strengthened by the Lord in his vast, some of your versions will say, mighty strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand up against the schemes of the devil. Paul says to do two things, stand and be strengthened by God and put on the armor. But he begins with the word finally. Finally, it's, it's, it's a conclusion. He's drawing things to a close. And he is, as it were, kind of summing up everything else he's talked about. In our case, we've looked explicitly at these metaphors. Finally, in view of, we might have say, finally be strengthened. Put on the full armor of God. So we could say it this way to our, ourselves as a church. Finally, in view of the fact that you, Groton Bible Chapel, are an interdependent body, that you need each other. Finally, in view of the fact that you, Groton Bible Chapel, are an interconnected building, a magnificent display, a temple bringing glory to God in your united construction. Finally, in view of the fact that you, Groton Bible Chapel, are an inconceivable mystery, that God would bring the likes of you together to be one. Finally, in view of the fact, Groton Bible Chapel, that you are an incredible new man or new person, that, that God through the church demonstrates what he can do to bring newness into the lives of his people. Finally, in view of the fact that you, Groton Bible Chapel, are an intimately loved bride, adorned for God in unity to one another. In view of this unity, this marvelous mystery, this grace gift of God, His church universal expressed in the local church. In view of this, Paul says, get ready for battle. Get ready for battle. Paul's final call is the most serious. The church isn't just a body, a temple, a mystery, a new man, or a bride. The church is a soldier, and if you're taking notes this morning, an indoctrinated soldier, number six. Every image that Paul has given us to this point denotes this idea of the serious nature of the commitment of being part of the church. This one's the most serious. And we talked about the fact that the modern church, one of its greatest errors is viewing the commitment to the local church as being sort of the last of our commitments, the least serious. And this, uh, this image doesn't leave us that option. Paul says, be strengthened by God's mighty power. We could rephrase that, by the almighty power of God himself. That means there must be something that we need to be concerned about if we need the strength of the God of the universe. If Paul prays that for us, exhorts us to that, there must be something that we need to be concerned about. He goes on, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand the schemes of the devil. Yes, Bill Maher, people still believe in angels and demons because the spiritual battle that we face in this world the world doesn't want to admit it, 
but is, is real. As Paul says, to be strengthened, which is relatively passive, and to put on the armor. But I wonder, do we really believe this? Do we really believe that being part of a church means that we're in the world in a battle? And I wonder if you're committed at that level to the local church, to this one, or maybe if you're visiting with us this morning, we'd certainly consider, ask you to consider the same commitment to the local church that you call home. We're headed into battle. And you know, Paul's instructions here in Ephesians 6 uh, are, are unique because he's actually speaking to the individual soldier. We could use the athletics metaphor. He's essentially saying to a soldier, or we could, again, to an athlete, you could say that practice, do the work, be disciplined, all of that stuff. But what's assumed here is this, this is our big point this morning, that soldiers don't fight alone. They belong to a unit. And so just like an athlete, a soldier is disciplined in his part or her part in being a part of the greater unit. Soldiers don't fight alone. They're part of a unit. They belong to a unit. Uh, this was illustrated for me really vividly in terms of what Paul says about this in the church this week in talking with one of the men in the Bible study, of which I've been a part on and off for the last couple of years, and I stopped in to say hi to them. And he was sharing with the group and shared with my wife and I over dinner a couple of nights later that when he retired from the submarine force, one of the great heartaches of retiring was the giving up of this brotherhood that he'd had. And, and I can tell you from the testimony of many in our congregation over the years who are part of the submarine force that there's a unique brotherhood within submariners even beyond other units of the military that they talk about. And he was grieving this. He couldn't find it at work. He couldn't find it even in just in attending church regularly. And then he joined a men's Bible study last semester. And after two semesters in men's Bible study on Wednesday nights, he, he and his wife, through dialogue, sort of discovered, it, it, it was revealed to them, and he became emotional that, oh my goodness, God has given me brotherhood again, deep brotherhood. That's why worship is one of the four things that we're asking you, inviting you to commit to, and grow is another. Because soldiers don't fight alone, they belong to a unit. And so we're fighting a battle. Paul says he exhorts us to fight the right enemy, Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. There's a lot of this scholarly debate as to whether Paul is talking about different ranks of spiritual powers. The big point Paul's making is we often fight the wrong enemy. And in modern times, Christians have become known much more to be, uh, for being cultural warriors than spiritual soldiers. And rather than spending 30 minutes a day on our knees praying for our lost world, we'll spend five hours on social media fighting with them. Victory does not come through destroying the culture. It comes through the redemption of the culture, one person, one heart, one life at a time. That's our mission. That's our role. And note that as we look at the armor that Paul calls us to put on, that spiritual battle actually begins with me and my heart. And then it moves to the people of God and then to the world. We often fight the wrong enemy. So let me say it this way this morning. Your spouse is not the enemy. Your boss is not the enemy. Young people, your parent is not the enemy. The Democrats are not the enemy. The Republicans 
are not the enemy. That person that you fellowship with and go to church with, that you've lambasted on social media about masks, is not the enemy. J. Vernon McGee, in preaching on this passage, said this little bit of a long quote here. Hang with me. He says, I do not think the devil is concentrating on the nightclubs or on Skid Row or the underworld or the mafia. He already has those under control. I think he's concentrating on the church on Sunday morning. He's working on the spiritual front. And too many sleepy Christians, talked about that this past winter, seem to be totally unaware of that. Too many Christians are concerned about closing up the cocktail parlors when they need to be closing their mouths from gossiping and criticizing. Ouch. The devil is working in an area where we least expect to find him. He's not out in the town on Saturday night. He's gone to bed early so he can get up and go to church on Sunday morning. The spiritual battle is being fought wherever a man is giving out the Word of God and where a church is standing for the Word of God. That is the place the devil wants to destroy, and that is the place of spiritual battle. Do you understand why we're calling us to be committed to Christ first and one another second? Paul, uh, Peter says it this way in his letter. He says, be alert, be sober-minded, be focused. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. Peter says, resist him, stand firm in the faith, and listen to what he says next, because you know that the family of be believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Every local expression of the body of Christ will face trial, and that's why we need commitment to each other. James says in his letter, submit to God, therefore, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 that we don't fight with the weapons of this world, with swords or tanks or bombs, but that we're fighting a spiritual battle. And so back to Ephesians chapter 6, he says, soldiers, we're to be well-armed warriors. Verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert, same as Peter, with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. It's quite likely that Paul, as a student of the Old Testament in particular, would have had the imagery in Isaiah 52, 54, and 59 of God's soldier. But also, it's likely, as Paul was chained to a Roman guard at this point, that he looks at that Roman guard and he says, hmm, what a great final metaphor. And he begins to write and to describe the armor. What Paul is essentially saying is that there's a passive reliance, be strengthened by the Lord Almighty, and an active armament. That in each one of these pieces of armor, there's a passive sort of uh, uh, standing in it, standing with it on, and an active uh, uh, walking it out. Be who you already are, we've said in the past. And so we won't cover all of them this morning for the sake of time, but just a couple with the belt of truth that we hold the truth, the truth of the gospel, that we're forgiven in Christ, but we live truthfully. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4 to stop lying. You have the truth, be truthful. Paul says uh, that, we have, that righteousness is like a breastplate, that we have the righteousness of Christ, and yet we're called to righteous living. Incidentally, if you've never heard the gospel message, I want to be clear about this this morning. 
that Jesus came, and when he came before he went to the cross, he lived a perfect sinless life, fulfilling the Ten Commandments in the entire Old Testament law in, in, in place of me, in place of you. And then he went to the cross, and he died on the cross and received the wrath of God, the judgment of God in himself. And so when through repentance and faith I trust in Christ for my salvation, I'm forgiven of all my sins, I'm giving this great gift of eternal life, I'm giving the gift of a covenant community, but I'm also, the biblical word is imputed with the righteousness, that perfection that Christ had lived with is imputed unto me. We stand in the righteousness of Christ and oh how I need to hear in my life, then live like it. Live righteously. He goes on, he talks about uh, the shield of faith the helmet of salvation, the gospel of peace, and he ends with the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon in his description. Really what Paul is saying, that it is the Word of God, righteousness, faith, etc., etc., that we appropriate to fight the spiritual battle. And the sword of the Word of God is offensive, meaning like in a militaristic sense. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active or effective. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions or attitudes of our heart. We apply, we stand on the word of God and we apply it into our lives. I want to read you the introduction to the Gideon Bible thinking about spiritual warfare being about applying the Word of God to our lives. You're not familiar with the ministry of the Gideons? It's an international ministry. Easiest evidence of their ministry is any hotel that you stay in, open the side, uh, the, the, uh, side table drawer and you'll see one of their Bibles. And the introduction of their Bible reads this. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Christ is its grand subject, our good is its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide our feet. Sounds like Ephesians 6. It's a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. And so Dane Ortland, in his newest book, he talks about spiritual warfare in the terms of breathing, reading the Word of God as inhaling and prayer as exhaling. We could call it this morning practicing the principle of battle breathing. Listen to what Ortland says. He says, take your asthmatic soul in one hand and the oxygen tank of the Bible in your other hand and bring the two together. The Bible, reading the Bible, is inhaling. Largely the church today is biblically illiterate. Largely the church, and I'm talking big C church, maybe that's true of us too. It spends very little time, again, social media, Netflix, very little time. Reading the Bible is inhaling, it's spiritual warfare. Prayer is exhaling. We take the life-giving Word of God into us and we breathe God's Word back to Him in prayer. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. How do you pray? That's a whole bunch of sermons. <laughs> but it's suffice it to say this, pray throughout your day. And as Ortland also says in, in, in his book, Deeper, God has given us a 150-chapter prayer book called the Psalms. And the Psalms put words into my mouth that are in my heart that I don't even know how to say that they have these, uh, they give us a voice to every circumstance, every emotion, every trial, every distress that we face in this life, including the ones we began with this morning. 
is an anonymous little quote that says this, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees or her knees as it were. We're called to a spiritual battle. The church is a soldier. And soldiers don't fight alone, they belong to a unit. What we've been doing over these last six weeks and what we've been wrestling with as a leadership for four years is what does it mean to commit to being a part of a unit? Mission, vision, values, partnership. So in a moment, Zach and I are going to have a conversation up here. I want to leave you with an image that I want you to meditate on as we kind of get settled up here. Paul talks about the Roman centurion's outfit, his armor, if you will, and the sword is often pictured in Sunday school as this little round sword, and it actually wasn't. It was a full-body sort of curved uh, sword that was about the height of a man. And in battle formation, Roman soldiers would link those swords. And so I want you to imagine, in a minute we'll put this picture up, I want you to imagine that we're all, as believers, if you're a believer in Jesus, we've got our outfit and our armor and our swords, but I want to leave you with this image, and, and the question will be this, am I fighting the battle alone or am I part of a unit? Do I belong to a unit? Here's the image. Here's the image. 